Welcome back, Double Teamed fam. How are we doing today? It's June. Yeah, so... Halfway through the year. Can't believe it. Halfway through the year, I'm actually like appalled and a little (laughs) flabbergasted that it's gone by so quick. But today, we wanted to welcome our beloved, beautiful friend, Claire from Polly Pages. We're going to talk about Polly breakups today. You might remember her from the first season, but Claire, do you want to go ahead and say hello? Yeah. Hi. So nice to be back. I'm Claire. I'm the director of Polly Pages, which is an academic non-monogamous podcast and platform. We have revitalized our podcast since the last time I was on yours. So like that's up and running, which is great. Yeah. I had such a great time talking to you guys in season one. I love the pod. I'm so happy to be back, even though we're talking about Dum dum dum, like less positive breakups. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, for our listeners, you guys know about my polyamorous breakup. You know, having to deal with my husband and his girlfriend, and us kind of, you know, finding an incompatibility where one of us wanted children and kind of a different future, and one of us didn't. That sort of thing. You guys know my story, but Claire. Did you want to tell us a little bit more about your experience with polyamorous breakups? Mm, yeah, so I have discussed this on some of the other podcasts where, where it was so fresh. And I listen back now and I'm like, oh my God, you can really tell it was like a wound. But this is now like, dur- it was during COVID, right? You know, like everything during COVID like changed. People's priorities like drastically shifted. And most of my relationships have always been long distance, which was fine. But then when COVID came along, I was like, oh, you actually can't go and see them. It was like, no amount of money can get me there when I need to be there, right? Like I can't, I can't leave. Um, I was stuck in Nepal during COVID, like during the first of COVID. And I was like grounded flights, it was so stressful. And slowly, like all three of my long-term relationships, like, fractured and like splintered and broke away uh kind of one after the other after the other for different reasons like some of them could have been really amicable some of them were because their other partner like fell pregnant pregnancy is like a bit childbirth pregnancy child rearing is like a I think one of the big things where people realize they differ and then one of them just like we couldn't manage to get it to work and it was like really traumatic because there were three right and one of the things I realized was that like Even the best friends that had like the best intentions, like didn't fully understand how hard this was, right? Even my partners, once I had broken up one of them, weren't, we're not taught how to like support someone who's both in a relationship and breaking up at the same time. And it was just so hard, man. But I I got a lot of support from the community and from some of the literature, which we'll talk about today, and got through it. And I I mean, I want to say right at the very top of the podcast, if anyone's listening and is going through like a breakup that just feels like hell, like you will will be fine. Like I promise it will be okay because it doesn't feel like that in the moment at all. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head there where like, you know, you're going through a breakup, but you have other partnerships. And so then like, you know, you're trying to maintain other relationships as you're like crumbling from the ending of, you know, an important relationship of a sort. And like that for me was, I would definitely say my partners were all supportive and probably one of the reasons that I really was able to feel very supported through it. But I felt like guilty at times that like, 
when I'd go spend time with them, I would be sad and down and upset, you know, from my marriage ending that like, I didn't feel like I was fun to be around. I don't know if you had that same experience, but like, I felt like I was like a burden on my other partners because of my emotional state, if that makes sense. I mean, I feel like yeah. that I've noticed now after like a couple of years out of the dating thing, now that I'm dating again, I still have that, right? That is that hasn't completely healed. I'm still like, why would you want to be around me when I'm not the best version of myself? Like you can just not be around me when I'm having a bad day or when I'm in pain or when I'm like sick, which comes from like a super solo polyamorous like identity that I built up in response to being told like, oh, I can't handle you being this sad, like outright by my partners or like this is... I can't handle it. So it sounds like your partners were at least like, yeah, but that's the point of the relationship is that we're there to support you on the hard days. And I didn't feel like I necessarily got that when I was going through my breakups and I couldn't even be that mean about it because I was like, yeah, fair. Like, I guess that's your prerogative. It just left me like really, obviously like I'm still dealing with it. And that's crazy because like, as I said, I feel very like healed and it's been a really long time. But then it's when you start dating again that that's when you're like, oh, no, that's really Okay, cool. <laughs> so I totally relate. And unfortunately, my, my partner's just one. It sounds like your partners were really great. And we're just like, that's the point of the relationship is that we're there for the hard times. I hope that's what they were like. Yeah. Well, I think how your other partners react is going to depend on how, I think how seasoned they are in polyamory or how seasoned they are in this kind of thing. Because my partners that I had at the time when I was going through the ending of my marriage, my two doms, and then I call her my best friends with benefits. You know, all of them have been polyamorous for quite some time. So I feel like they, you know, I don't know if they had gone through a similar situation with other partners, but like they understood. And I think most of them had also been in the situation as well. So I think they understood a little bit more. So maybe that might be a factor of it or just kind of like your emotional capacity, you know, as a person, like if you're able to kind of handle your partner going through a breakup, you know, and supporting them. So yeah, it's going to depend for everyone. It's going to be different, I would say. Yeah. And I think that that's actually really astute because when I, I have this thing where I accidentally date people that are new to polyamory even though I keep saying I'm not going to do that and then of course it means that I am right (laughs) I keep like never again and then it's like a a, you know oh it's it's a man with a with a man bun okay like (laughs) (laughs) those damn man buns sold And then I end up like being in a situation where I am the most seasoned one. So I had I had supported my my partners through their breakups before, and I was like really hurt. I wasn't receiving the same care. But basically, what I ended up doing was I was like the needs that are no longer being met or were being met by this person. I'm gonna swing around and be like, okay, now I need you to pick up that slack without actually having like a conversation about that. That obviously Mm -hmm. his partner then feels like overwhelmed and. Then when that didn't pan out because everyone was at capacity, because again, it was COVID, I like swung around to the last remaining partner. I was like, okay, I am really struggling. You know, this is the beginning of my depression. This was like a lot and really expected, you know, him to step up. And then when he didn't, it was like, huh, I feel like I definitely did this before, but I can't be mad at someone else's decision, I guess. Apparently, I'm a little bit. It's what I'm learning from this conversation. <laughs> but um, but that's okay. The only way to go through it is to go through it. And I think that's 
that's part of it. So I definitely think that if, if you are more seasoned in polyamory, then you've just you've just supported someone through a breakup before. It's as simple as that. There's no other way to learn how to do it. You just have to do mm-hmm. it, right? Yeah, get through it. Yeah. I will say though that I haven't been through the experience of supporting anyone else through like a polyamorous breakup, but I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm curious to see how I would do. Actually, you know what? I take that back. Eh, no. What? I was going to say sometimes, you know, see, but all of her have been very like short, casual, like the fling ended. Nothing has been like, Mm. you know, substantial. I feel like I would be a phenomenal support system if I do say so myself, just because like, I feel like I've, (laughs) I feel like I've been through it now. So, you know, I feel like I'm armed and ready to go if I ever have a partner that like goes through a breakup, you know? And in a way, like when my marriage was ending, you know, there was like a time where I thought the two of them were going to break up instead of him and I. And I remember like kind of feeling a little bit of panic, like how am I going to support him through this? Because I was like, I don't know what that looks like, you know? And so I was trying to gear myself up for it. And then, you know, tables turned and it went the other way. But, you know, nonetheless, it happens. So I will say the polyamorous breakup book, which you had recommended, has been a huge comfort. I'm about 75% of the way through reading it. And I like, I don't know, hearing other people's stories. Like I know you and I had talked about your story before and, you know, kind of the similarities that we had in that. I really hadn't heard too many because a lot of my friends like in the polyamory community are still, you know, they're still together or whatever, or like since I've known them, they've been with their partners. So like, I didn't know them before if they had gone through breakups or anything like that. So it was just really nice, like reading through the stories and everything. One quote that I really liked, and it said, one lesson was that the ending of an old relationship could be the beginning of a new one, often with the same person. And so like in that, I thought about how transitioning from, you know, being husband and wife to now just being friends with this person and like deconstructing everything in the hopes of like building a friendship. Because I think we both do want to maintain a friendship in the future. Did you kind of have an experience like shifting the relationships around or did you kind of cut off all the contact with your exes? I went in a contact with two of them and one of them we de-escalated to kind of like a loose acquaintance, let's say. He's still very supportive. I'm still very supportive of him, but we touch base every now and then. But it's not someone that's like in my life regularly. I think that there is this like polyamorous, outside of a monogamous framework, let's say, there is like this beautiful option of de-escalation, which is basically like walking off that relationship escalator that I think we kind of touched on in previous episodes. But this idea that a relationship starts at the bottom and then the next step is like you are exclusive and the next step is like you get married and then you have kids and then you move in together and like whatever culture you're in, it will look a little bit different. And non-monogamy, I think, offers us the potential for a framework to de-escalate, which is, I think, what Kathy Labriola is talking about there. However, I don't know that the book gives you like the firm tools of how to do that because it's not a common, it's not a common shift in relationship, right? The, the monogamous lens is like once you break up with someone, it's a failure. They have failed you. They are out. Like cut them off. Ignore that you even ever had that relationship and try and find someone else. It's better ideally, and that's obviously like not productive for anyone is not productive for the person going through the breakup it's not productive for the person they're breaking up with or for anyone that comes into their life afterwards so the option to de-escalate is i think really lovely but i don't know that we have like the soft skills to do that 
because our society doesn't teach them. And this book, as you said, is a comfort. It's comforting to read that you are not alone, that there is no one is like at fault, that it's not polyamory's fault. It's a big takeaway from the book is that polyamorous breakups usually break up for the same reason someone might be monogamous would do. But it doesn't necessarily instill the survival skills that would include de-escalation. I think that would I would love to see that in like the second season of the polyamory breakup book, Survivor Edition. That'd be great. Oh, I love that. And actually, that's a great title too. I agree though. It doesn't, it didn't give me the tools, but I like the quote because it had me reflecting on like, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. Like this is an opportunity to like deescalate and reframe everything. But you're right in that doing that takes, you go from being, yeah, it takes time. And it also takes a lot of things just because like in, in the communication, now you have to shift your communication. I still catch myself calling him my husband you know, even though like we're in the middle of a divorce or sometimes I still catch myself like times that we've talked on the phone about like taxes or things that we've, you know, done or whatever. And like at the end, I'll be like, oh, I love you. Have a good day. Bye. You know, like all those things. It's like you got to break all these old patterns and reestablish new ones and like breaking those patterns a skill all on its own and figuring out how to do that in a healthy way while trying to like restructure and reframe to like a new set of patterns. So yeah, it would be dope if she did a second book on maybe some of that stuff. Yeah. And I think also, you know, if you partnered this with a sort of a critique that of like, why do we not get these skills? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's very much because under monogamy, and even and this extends into polyamorous spaces, right? There has to be like a point, And then like, you've reached the peak of the relationship. And if you don't get there, so if you break up before there, it's a failure. And if you break up after that peak, then it's also a failure because like you had the thing and now you don't have the thing. And I think that this really comes from like a place which is like when we really start thinking about it critically, it's not particularly like feminist, it's not particularly anti-capitalist, which are things that, as you know, are very important to me. So for me, it was like really important to take this book and then be like, okay, and why do I feel this way, right? Um, and that also takes time, as you say. Like, But I my personal like way to do it is that you go no contact for a period of time and then you touch base like, in three months and like see if that's even something you want because during the breakup part like you're just in pain right you're just hurting and you have to go through all that hurt and trying to also manage like a positive relationship forming in that space I, I think that's really hard to do I think that's that's too much to ask someone to do so go and you know and then in three months check in and be like okay do we want to be friends or not yeah I think that's a good point and it's funny that we bring up de-escalation. This actually reminds me of, I don't know if you watch Selling Sunset, but what what's the blonde girl that used to date Jason and they broke up? Oh, uh, Mary. Mary, yeah. They were okay, a couple I know for that. a long time. He just finished watching Oh, well, yeah, but I remember I saw a post about her and Jason becoming friends again. And she was saying she was like, you know, it's possible to go back into friendship, you know, after a breakup. It's just she's like, you have to realize it's just going to take time. Yeah. And, it, you know, and like Nikki said, restructuring that. And, you know, I think you made a good point also of, you know, cutting off contact for some time and then checking in sometime later, which my current partner, he and I have, you know, been something for the past like year and a half. And now he's moving to Colorado. And I'm like, well, what do we do? So, and I, I feel like you're right. We don't have the soft skills to like, you know, properly execute 
like a, a good de-escalation where, you know, it's done in a way that makes sense for everybody. Kind and of is just, healthy. Yeah, and is healthy. Because my brain, it's just like, no, we run. It's time to go. Bye. I'm like, and then, you know, the other part of me is like, no, we stay. So I'm trying to get out of like that stuck mentality where it's like the de-escalation can happen. There's still going to be some hurt. Who knows how to navigate this, but like at least give it a try. Because I, I mean, I think if it's anything that I've learned through throughout the past like year and a half, almost two years of being immersed in the poly community is that it's possible to have different and dynamic relationships with people and they can de-escalate or re-escalate, you know, at any time. And you just got to see how it goes and give it a chance. So we'll see how that goes. If you're not going into your relationships with that understanding that like you are going to change during the relationship and the person that you change into and the person that you're with, the person that they change into might not work, then you're kind of doing yourself a disservice, right? You're being like, okay, I'm going to pause my development at this point for the relationship. You know, that might have been fine 40 years ago, right? But that's not something I'm interested in doing now. I don't need to do it. Like, but part of my emancipation is that like, I get to change my mind, right? And I get to grow as a person. And if you're not going into relationships thinking, I'm going to change like I'm going to grow out of this relationship, then it's kind of doing yourself a disservice. And to ask someone else to also be like, I like the person you are right now. So if you could just not change so that the relationship can stay the same, that would be great. That would also be obviously like not fair. So I think that dynamism that you're talking about is really important for that reason, because, you know, we live long lives and we can experience lots of things and we don't have to remain in the relationship that looks exactly the same for like 30 plus years if we don't want to. Yeah, I agree. And I think... You know, at least for me, I've seen how much I changed in my relationship. And that's why, you know, we ultimately like ended things was because he changed too. We both changed and he changed into, you know, wanting, you know, kind of more of a home and family life with children and everything. And, and I kind of envisioned a different future. And so those changes, especially now having gone through it, I'm like, I think it's a little naive to go into a relationship and think like, oh, this is the person that I married and this is like, or this is the person that I'm with and like, that's who I'm picking. I'm like, that's why like relationships and marriage is like a choice. Cause like you're picking the new version of that person every day as they slowly change over time. Like it is a choice. And so maybe one day you won't make that choice. You'll be like, you know what? I love who they've become, but this isn't for me. And so like I might head in this direction or whatever that looks like. And that's okay too. And so I don't know, it's, it definitely put me also into a mindset of like, I've changed so much in just like a short amount of time. Who am I going to change to later? How am I going to make decisions for someone I have like a version of myself that I haven't met yet yeah i would love to see us reframing people that that make the decision to step away from relationships as as like i feel like i was met with like sympathy at best and like derision at worst sometimes and i would love to see instead and this is what i do for my girlfriends by the way that like get divorced or leave relationships i'm like fucking great you are so brave well done good for you like this is actually like a positive development in your life it's like cool i'm glad to see that chapter is ending and you are taking things forward and I would like to see a shift in our culture where it's like, especially like, I mean, I had to go through this very publicly because one of the partners was the partner in polypages, right? So there's also like this added element where like the polyamory space is not that big. So if you're going through like a polyamorous breakup and you're doing it in a kind of public way, well, like you don't have a choice, right? It has to go through publicly. I guess like you also went through this, right? Like you'd be very upfront and like forthcoming in your podcast. And I just think it's like really brave. And it's interesting to me that like at the beginning of, of this, you said 
he didn't know how many people that had gone through it. And that's kind of wild because if you think about it, like polyamorous people are going to break up more than monogamous people because we have like four times the amount of relationships, right? Like, <laughs> so why are we not hearing about it? Why are we not speaking about it? And so I think it's very brave that you've been really like open and honest about the whole thing. Like you could have just left it out of the pod or you could have like shut down for a while and like not done it and blah, blah. But if we don't talk about this part then there's no representation for it and then you get like a really skewed understanding of what polyamory is and it's all like rainbows and unicorns and flowers and it's not sex yeah sometimes it's not like that yeah no i agree and i mean it was hard like kind of being public about it especially because like you know and i remember i I made a joke to him about this when we were ending our relationship i'm like we were non-monogamous for four years i started a podcast on it and then you choose to like go a different direction I gave him some shit for that and we both laughed about it. And he told me, he was like, I hope you continue it because, you know, I support you in it and I think you're doing great things with it. And, but I really, I did want to offer the perspective that like, sometimes, yeah, things change. And whether we were monogamous or non-monogamous, we probably still would have gone through that change. And I think I said this in another episode, like going into any relationship, you are a fool if you believe that like your relationship is never in jeopardy of change and where those changes like can take either of you, like which direction, like monogamy doesn't protect you from it, you know, and non-monogamy doesn't exactly make it easier for like, oh, well, if he changes, I'll have other partners. So it'll be great. Like neither one protect a relationship or protect your feelings in any of it. Relationships always come with risk. So, yeah. And I mean, I like what you said about people being really supportive in the sense of thinking it's brave and championing it. I'm actually really happy to see the number of friends that were like, good for you. Not because they were like, oh, he's trash or anything like that, but more so like, good for you for sticking to your truth about not wanting children and good for him for sticking to his truth and both of you choosing your separate paths. I actually had a lot of friends that, you know, had that mindset and that framework when they talked to me about it. So I I was really appreciative too. I didn't thought about it until you mentioned it, that it it was good to have kind of that support. This is good, not so sorry, how terrible, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, of course they were sorry, but like it was one of those things where they were like, it's a good thing that like this chapter is ending and now you can begin a new one. Yeah. Which definitely like is, I think like, I can't imagine someone saying it to a woman that decided to like leave her marriage that decided to to end for whatever reason, especially if it's because there was a question mark around kids, you know, 40 years ago, right? It'd be like, oh my God, that's so embarrassing. We've like, we've come a really long way Um, to the point where actually just before this podcast, like recording started, I got like a message on my phone, which is my calendar reminding me that tomorrow is one of my friend's divorce parties. (laughs) And I'm like, great. Like... At the anniversary of her divorce, I was just like, yeah, that's what it should be like. Like, this is a big change. And like, much like getting your PhD or like completing on a house or like getting married, I guess. So like the typical ones. But like, it can go wrong as well as it can go right. But like, you should come into it being like, congratulations, this is going to be good. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. I like that. I'm like that with my friends. So, (laughs) No, I agree. I don't think a lot of people realize like how much you and you touched on this earlier, how much someone can suppress a part of themselves just to try to make something work. And that pressure is just going to keep building until there is a breaking point. I mean, when my ex fiance and I broke up, it hurt for a few weeks. I was like devastated. And then as soon as I made it to the other side of I was like, oh, wait a minute. 
I finally get to do some of the things that I've been wanting to try. I finally get to explore this side of myself that I haven't really even touched on for, you know, years. Then it was like a whole new world. And just that one change in perspective, I was like, it made me look back and I was like, the person I was in that relationship and the person I am now, completely different, but I wouldn't change that for the world. And, you know, I I think if you live by your truth, the good path is always going to be paved out. And that's a tough lesson to learn because some things like, yeah, you can compromise on, but there, there are some other things or situations where it's like, there will be no compromise. If you want it, you want it. And you're going to have to like make the tough decision, you know, if something has to end. So in the book, there was like the big seven suspects. That Kathy Labriola mm-hmm. says are like the reasons why people break up. And I think that what you've just been speaking about, you know, having big issues that you're not going to compromise on that or or people changing their minds about those big issues during the course of their life, which they're entitled and like can do, you know, it's I don't really necessarily feel like it's captured in those seven. And as a woman of childbearing age who doesn't want to have children, those are the big things right that that's like being the majority of the reason why my relationships have broken up like if you were to take a tally the difference of opinion of these big life things that's like the big one right like wanting to have kids versus not wanting to have kids or wanting to live together versus not wanting to live together or wanting to move in versus not wanting to move in I guess it's the same thing but for me, it's different from like, because I do distance with all my partners, wanting to get married versus not wanting to get married. For some people, that's a really big thing. And I don't necessarily feel like that's captured in like comfortably in, in the book, right? She kind of just says a lot like, oh, just choose the right partner. Like choose the partner who wants the same thing as you without really like having this understanding that people can change their minds about what they want and I for like the longest time have like lived in fear in my relationship because I always go in I'm always like just so you know I don't want to have get married I don't want to have kids like I don't want to do those things and I have to be like waiting until they change their mind they said they didn't want it but any minute now they might change he's gonna turn around and be like I want to have kids and I'm gonna be like I'm not gonna change my mind on this (laughs) like I chose the partner and they they changed their mind or you know this came up and and it wasn't compatible I guess so I think that that is like maybe another like addition number two that I would like to add to the book but also it's like it's not a comfortable thing to talk about because there is a norm associated with what you should want right and I'm going against that so like I'm the one that's like in the wrong right quotation marks in the wrong if I'm like yeah I stood we've been together for six years I still don't want to have kids and get married I'm not going to like change my mind you know yeah like that's a big thing and I feel like at least for men, it's a lot easier for them to change their mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like for women, if we're like, we go from, you know, oh, I don't want kids to, oh, I think I do want kids. Like now our whole body is sacrificed. Like everything, you know, we have to go through it. We have to, the pregnancy, the birth, everything. Whereas like a man, you know, for him, if he's just like, you know what? I think I do want kids now. That's all there is to it. Just go, you know, have sex with someone, impregnate them. And then nine months later, you've got a kid that you got to take care of now. You know, so nothing against men in that regard. But like, I definitely felt like for me, you know, or like when he changed his mind about it and I was trying to like sit there and be like, okay, is this something I can give him or not? 
like do i want to to offer this you know as a way to like save the relationship like those kind of things i remember i was like there's so much more of a of a sacrifice here i feel like that it's i can't like a i ultimately decided against it obviously and b i was like i i just can't it's not easy for me to just suddenly change my mind on it because that means so much more to me than it does for him so traumatic on the body like people don't yeah people don't talk about this and like as my friends have started to think about wanting to have kids i'm like the friend where i'm like you don't ask claire because she's going to tell you about all of the complications and the death rate and like how bad is in the body and there's no like bouncing back to doing like weekends in bali and like that doesn't I mean, you, you were talking about selling sunset earlier. You know, when Christine has the baby and like three weeks later, she's like, looks amazing. That's not real. That's not real. Right? You have a baby and it's like forever changes parts of your body, right? Which is fine. Women shouldn't be like judged or made to feel bad because that's a, that's natural and normal part of it. But it's something that women should be like aware of and considering when they're deciding that. So yeah, I definitely... I'm kind of like shocked by how child centric my whole thirties has become with like so many of my friends, like having kids and stuff. And I've never really felt more pressure to change your mind. And yet I can honestly say there is not even a single part of me that is like, I want to have a baby. So it's not going to change, right? If it was going to change, it would happen mm-hmm. now. <laughs> oh, if it's anything, I've embraced the fun aunt trope. Like that is me. I will be the aunt. I will take care of your child. If you need me to babysit them for a weekend so you can go get trashed, like I will do that. But the last thing you will catch me doing is birthing a child out of my vaginal canal. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. The thought of childbirth, just I can't get behind it. And I, I don't, I don't think even if I do want children one day, I think I would prefer either surrogacy or more heavily leaning on adoption so it's like any partner that i have like as long as they're okay with you know surrogacy or adoption like yeah also just realizing that like you know and women tend to become the primary parent that's also you know one of the factors that that's why like yeah you get into a relationship with a dude and you know of course at first you know they're a little cagey they don't want to let you in and then they do let you in and then they're like oh you know i could knock up this chick i could have a child i would love to parent with her and if she's you know dead set on like not having kids like the dude has to realize that you know just providing his sperm and then you know playing with the kid every now and then is not is not parenting you know you got to help out it's like sometimes like the father narrative gets skewed because I, I, I've seen it done so many different ways. I always champion like the friends I see where their partner like truly takes the time to like help in every single way with parenting. Like that's amazing. That's the way to do it. I remember I had I had one dude that I was seeing briefly and he was like he was very traditional. He was like of course I want kids. He's like, and I I do think that the mom has to be like the primary parent. And I was just like, oh, we're not going to agree on this. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, no, no. It's 2022. Like we're done giving dads cookies for just being a a normal parent. Like you don't get a cookie for like doing 50% of the child rearing at all. And so often it is like, oh, you know, he's he's such a great dad. Like he's going to do like the school pickup one day a week when it works with his schedule. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you're just giving out cookies for like the bare minimum, like the barest of all minimum. And this kind of reminds me actually of like a Reddit story that was like went viral. I don't know if you guys saw this. It was about someone that like 
got someone pregnant and he, she was like, I don't want to be a mom. Like, I don't, I don't want this kid. I don't want to have anything to do with it. And he was like, I would really like to have this child. Like, I really, really want to have this child. So she was like, okay, fine. You're going to pay for all of the healthcare. We're going to have the baby. The moment the baby is born, they went to the courthouse. She signed over full 100% parental rights. Was like, I don't want to have anything to do with the raising this baby. It's yours. And then paid like 150% of the required, like, what's it called when you, alimony? It's not alimony. Child support. Oh, child support? Child support. Oh, yeah. That thing. Um, and um, and this, this Reddit user was the guy and was like, and now I'm realizing like how hard this is. And I really like love my kid, but I kind of like resent him because like obviously I love my son, but like I can't do all the things I want to do. And like she, she's a negligent mother. She should be taking care of this child as much as me. And so she he tried to take her to court and was basically on this Reddit blog like bitching about the fact that the judge was like, no. You have an agreement. She's very clear. Like the child's never going to meet this mother. Like, like she's she's um, like an egg donor essentially, right? For a guy that really, really wanted to have kids, and now he's like bitching about it. And it's like, okay, well, there we go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but it's it's true. Like, it's a, it's a vastly different experience for the man and the woman. Yeah, and she she literally said, "I don't want to do this." It's like some women don't want to be mothers. I definitely think it's more this generation is you're, you're seeing more and more of like women that are like this just isn't for me and that's totally okay i definitely think at least that like for women it's at least a much harder you know thing to consider than it is for a man because they don't have to put nearly as much of the of the sacrifice into it so yeah for that guy he was like oh sweet she'll have the baby and then i'll take care of it after like did you really think through this dude yeah i had two co-workers Actually, and I lived in Kansas at the time, which everyone in Kansas has children, but I worked at a at a hotel and there were these two women, they were both older and neither of them have kids. And every single time I asked them, I was like, I was like, you didn't want children? One of them was like, no, never wanted them. Best decision I ever made. Her husband and her have been married for a long time. He also you know, agreed with her, never pressured her to do it. And she was like, she was like, I I always knew I didn't want to be a mother. And my husband was okay with that when he met me and it stayed that way. So it's like, you know, when you're, you made the point of like, you know, that's kind of like one of the big reasons people change their minds on these things. And then that can cause the split. It's like deep down, I think everyone needs to be on the same page about kids. Like, you know, even or the big like, things, marriage, yeah. kids. Yeah. 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 You really like have to sit with yourself and be like, okay, this person is telling me they're not okay with this. Like, do I possibly want this down the line? Maybe. Okay. Well then this might not work. Yeah. Yeah. So if there's like the possibility, if somebody tells you who they are, like believe them the first time, right? Like if I'm, if I have to date another person that in the beginning is like, yeah, that's great. I don't want those things either, but quietly believes that I'll change my tune around and it's always around the same things marriage children and polyamory polyamory is like oh if i just like date this person long enough she'll want to be monogamous or something and i'm like this is another big one right which i don't think is um it's kind of covered in the book but not not loads but like if you know that you're polyamorous yeah, a little bit and my hard boundary is around like going on to like a, a monogamous uh relationship for life like that's not something i'm going to compromise on and there is a term, I don't know if you guys have come across a term called cowboy, which is like someone that dates, someone that's polyamorous with the sort of like long-term intention of like lassoing them away from the herd and like reining them in and becoming monogamous. And I've got to date another one of those. I'll, I'll just stop dating forever. <laughs> like It's so frustrating. Like I'm telling you who I am. Believe me the first time. Yeah. yeah. No, wow. I think that's great. And I mean, 
I I remember when I was going through it, someone told me, they were like, I don't think you're actually non-monogamous. I think your husband just wasn't meeting your needs. And so you like outsourced them. <laughs> and I was like, because he was gone all the time for work. So like, you know, we, yeah. So, we, you know, we, we kind of started the whole arrangement because we were, we spent so much time apart. And like, I remember when he said that at first, I was like, you know what, let me think on this. And then not long after I sat there, I'm like, no, that's not it. Like, it wasn't because he wasn't meeting my needs. It was because like, I just like, I I sat there, I'm like, I cannot give anyone monogamy. And I I hated that, like, they felt that suddenly, you know, this was like, I don't know, like an opportunity for me to go back to monogamy because my, you know, polyamorous non-monogamous marriage ended so badly that now I'm going to be like, I'm going to go back to monogamy because it's safer. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to shy away from it, A. And B, like it is who I am, mm-hmm. you know, like it, that's one of the things that it helped me realize through. Can you imagine if the shoe was on the other and it was like, oh, you know, maybe you were never monogamous and this person was just forcing you into monogamy and now, now's your chance to be non-monogamous. You would, I mean, that sounds insane right like that sounds like like a weird or like oh you're bisexual and this relationship with a woman didn't work well maybe you're not actually bisexual or maybe like that was just a phase and now you can like actually be straight because that's really what you are it's like don't come for my identity when I'm kicked down and hurt because of my breakup that's shitty behavior that's bad that's bad news and any friend that did that like is not not a friend to have to keep around during your your polyamorous breakup like at all yeah, no, I agree. That was one that was kind of like, and this was, I guess, more of an acquaintance, I should specify. Yeah, but I remember I, I did have another friend too that was like, was like, you don't have to defend non-monogamy through your breakup, you know, because I was sitting there like trying to like reiterate that like the reason that we were breaking up was not because we were non-monogamous or because we were polyamorous. It was because we found an incompatibility that we both grew into. And they were like, you don't have to defend it. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't know how to explain to you that I'm not defending it. I'm just for people that are going to look at it through the lens of like monogamy and, you know, everything. And the book did touch on it, too, about how like everyone's gonna be like, oh, the reasons to blame is polyamory, you know, and you're like, no, that wasn't the reason it worked until it didn't because of other things incompatibilities, you know. And so it's like I'm trying to show you my perspective, you know, so that you can understand it and, you know, maybe kind of help see it from my point of view because like I don't need everyone attacking my identity attacking something that I believe in attacking the way that I am you know in non-monogamy you know because my relationship ended and they think that that's the cause I don't know that was another thing to deal with so yeah and everyone that goes through a polyamorous breakup is going to have those people that either like well it wasn't like that serious because you guys were seeing other people like the, the polyamory discounts how much you should be hurt or they're going to be like polyamory was the cause and i'm just like i wish there was i wish that these people would just be quiet i wish just be quiet like you don't need to add this this because i did get a lot of people that were like seemingly being really nice and like they genuinely believe they're being nice and i'm like but you're you're not you're being really mean <laughs> it's making me feel really it's making me feel worse than if you said nothing <laughs> Well, I mean, it's like when a family member dies. I think you brought up this point once. It's like, are you going to be like, oh, you should be less sad because you have other family. You have another, you know, yeah, you have another grandmother. No, that was a completely different relationship that brought different things into my life that made me happy. Like what? (laughs) They were a person. You know, it's not like people are just like replaceable. Exactly. And actually, I think one of the best takeaways that I had during like, this pretty traumatic like 
three decouplings in like as many months was to stop treating breakups as if they are a different type of grief. Like just treat them like grief. Like people kind of give a wide berth for grief. People, you know, thanks to the seven steps and like the work that was done like around that. And I forget now the woman that was responsible for that. But we have a pretty good understanding of grief and we understand like the only way to go through it is to go through it and that it might change the person. And there is, I think, just like a a base level better understanding of how to handle grief than there is base level understanding of how to handle breakups. So if you grieve the relationship that has ended, even if you are still in contact with a person, even if that person was like horrible to you, even if the breakup was abusive or if the breakup was amicable, there's still a grief. And if people gave you the wide berth that they give for general grief, then you would actually be feel probably more supported than trying to say things like, well, I never liked him anyway. Well, you could do so much better. Well, like we don't need that. You could just be like, I'm so sorry for your loss. What do you need? That's it. That's what you got to do as a friend for anyone's breakup. I think that that was my big takeaway. And that's how I would support my partners in the future. I love that. I, I think that's a great perspective and a great way to look at it. Because yeah, there's no need to, you know, suddenly like trash the relationship or like, and the book kind of touched on this a little bit too, is like nitpicking it and finding all these reasons to like suddenly like hate the person or whatever, or, you know, trying to find like all these different causes and, and things to excuse what happened, all those things. And I mean, we all sit there and, you know, get in our heads about it, but instead just be like, it's a loss, treat it like a loss. Let me grieve the loss and then move on from it. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal. And for, I mean, that's a good takeaway for me for future relationships and how to support others or, you know, even just the kind of myself. I think that's really profound. Uh, I was going to ask when it came to, because you had even three at once, that's a lot. Did it really kind of like help you articulate what you wanted to look for in future polyamorous relationships or like structures in general? Like did, did it kind of help... You know, like, were there things that you're like, okay, we tried this out in this relationship. You know, I think in the next relationship, I'm going to do this a little bit differently because of that. Like, anything like that? Definitely, like, in the first, like, six months after the breakup, I was like, I mean, I took a really intentional, like, not dating, part, like, year, right? Where, like, I just healed and went to therapy and, like, got on meds and I dealt with the hurt and, like, where I was at. And it wasn't just because of these breakups. It was a lot of other, com- like, conflicting stuff. And during that time, I was definitely, I remember thinking very clearly, like, I'm never going to date someone who's younger. I'm never going to date a man. I'm never going to date someone who's new to polyamory. And now I'm dating someone who's younger and a man and new to polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you make these these sort of like things of like, I'm just going to avoid this in the future. And then what, what you're really saying is that if I avoid those things in the future, I can, I can avoid feeling this this pain again but what that kind of nothing's going to make you feel that pain again because that pain is specific to what you've lost and that thing that you lost and that you're grieving for is unique to the two people or three people or whatever that made up that feeling there are people that go through polycule breakups that are like seven people big and they're like i'll never be in a polycule again i'm like again that is because of the specific relationships that you had that that's what you're feeling right now it's not going to feel the same in the next seven person polycule you get into right so basically i guess yes i used to 
to think that and I thought oh I can take some learnings from this and like avoid this in the future but that's not really any way to like live my life just trying to get through just trying to navigate with the minimal amount of risk what that means is then you're operating in your relationships from a place of fear and um Avita Sawyers who's like a great blogger about this made like a series of tweets that I read recently about how so many people operate from that place of fear so many people go into any relationship monogamous or not with like a, you know, I don't want to go in more than the other person. And I want to like, make sure I don't get egg on my face. And I want to like, protect myself. But I don't really want to be that person. Like I want to go in and get messy and get hurt. Like that's the point of the relationships is that you go all in and you see what happens. And it's like crazy. And it's good. And it's bad. So when you're in a place of pain, it's understandable to want to make rules for yourself and like change what you're looking for, because you don't want to get into that again. But what are you cutting off when you do that? You're cutting off the opportunities. You're cutting off like the potential. And yeah, it might blow up in your face. You might go way further than the other person and make a fool of yourself. But like, so what? Like you only, you only get to live this life once. Like, can you imagine doing that with your cards, like close to your chest? No. <laughs> that felt like therapy. Thank you for I that. I love that. And I didn't yeah. even get to listen to all of it because I was peeing. Um, well, no, <laughs> because I think... Like you said something that really struck a chord with me. It's like, you know, not, you know, you take these things away because you're like, oh, I want to protect myself in the future. And that's something that like I've been really like thinking about is like, and this is, you know, a conversation that I've been having myself quite a bit is I'm like, okay, well, do I want another polyamorous relationship again? Or do I would just want to stick to non-monogamy because we did good with non-monogamy. We did well with it. We didn't have any issues with it. And maybe, maybe polyamory wasn't right for me. And like, I need to to figure out if like, maybe I'm just a non-monogamous, like just a swinger or whatever. And I remember one of the times I'm like, and I was talking to my therapist about this too. I'm like, I don't want to fear polyamory because like, I also believe in it. It's just like, you know, my first go at it didn't go great, but like, I don't want to fear it. And I don't want to like, you know, close myself off from it just because the first time that I, you know, entered a relationship that was polyamorous, it was, you know, it ended in a traumatizing way, you know, because like her and I had issues and whatnot. And so like, I remember I was journaling the other day. I was like, I don't want to be that person that avoid something because of fear. I don't want to limit myself because of fear. I'm like, I want to, I want to get to a place where I'm not so scared of it so I can leave myself open to it because ideally, yeah, I think I, I would like a relationship where like, if I make a connection, I have the freedom to explore that connection to its fullest potential, not just sexual. So, so I really love that perspective from you. Thank you for that. That's something that I that I was thinking about recently and to, to hear you and especially the way that you put it. I want to go back and listen to this again and like really, it was really sit with it. Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> but I mean, that, that was one of the things that I've definitely been dealing, you know, through it is like wondering like what my relationships are going to look like in non-monogamy in the future, you know, like what structure. And, and that's one of the things that I've been facing for myself is like, I don't want to fear certain structures under the entire umbrella of non-monogamy just because I'm scared that it's going to cause issues or whatever because of the trauma, you know. So another thought occurs to me, which is that like after my really big breakups, like in the history of my like relationship life, you know, you have like a handful of like very formational relationships. And after each one of those ended, I ended up doing some, ending up in a completely new dynamic I never ever would have thought of before. Right, like after my three breakups, I ended up having a sugar daddy for the first time, which I never admitted on a podcast briefly. You know, I was like, that that's because you're in that situation, right, where you're not looking for the same thing. 
So this kind of like the perfect opportunity to look for something completely different. Like my first relationship ended, I ended up with a, a completely different gender. It was like I wasn't looking for the same things as so other options presented themselves. And you just end up in this situation where you're like, there's like a plethora of options out there. There's like a lot of opportunities. So one way to, I guess, make the most of this like painful period of like, okay, I don't want to look at this thing anymore is like then you're open to these other things. So that's potentially like another way of looking at it. And um, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm saying is I welcome the whole phase after a breakup. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Everyone <laughs> <laughs> needs to do that. Damn right. <laughs> I say, I I mean, I champion for hoe faces. They are transformational. Okay. And they're good. Kimmy had a good one after her breakup. So I had a great hoe face. And I'm really, I was sad when it ended because I felt Kimmy hadn't reached peak hoe face, Kimmy. And then, you know. Uh, Well, you know, peak hoe face, Kimmy. Actually, you know what? Are you kidding me? I lost 14 pounds. (laughs) Well, actually, no. I I lost like. Just from jumping from day to day. Yeah, no. That that was the thing. I actually, I almost reached peak hoe face. But at one point for like a month, I was just like date, 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 date that I I didn't go to the gym. I was barely like eating because I was so busy and it was like, it was terrible. I like, I hated that. And I got really skinny and then I I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, wait a minute, like eat a fucking sandwich, Cammy. Like you need to get some protein in there. Some nourishment. Um, Yeah. So I, but I, I like, I like really dived into it. And it was, um, it was a lot of fun. I should say I support the hoe phase, but we hoe phase from a place of healthiness, not (laughs) detriment, right? Because there is a way of like dealing with, with hurt through survival sex, right? That's, that's what we call it in my sector. Like you have reckless sex because you're trying to find like a comfort, right? And I don't think that's like, that's not what I'm talking about when I talk about hoe face. What I mean is like all of the other options that seem to suddenly appear out of nowhere where previously those things were not there. Mm-hmm. Like I think that that's a normal part of like, as you go through the journey of hurt for a while, you're like, I literally cannot think about anything because I'm feeling my feelings. But when that starts to like recede, it's like a, it's like a wave. It will go back and forwards, but like enjoy the receding, right? And be like, huh, look, all of the starfish in the sand all of a sudden that I never would have thought of before because I was so busy in the sea. But yeah, from a place of health, definitely. <laughs> don't, don't skip me yeah, off. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. And, you know, at one point I did think I was using it as like a, like a coping mechanism. And then, you know, when I slowed down and I I found a guy that I wanted to give like more of my time to, that's when I was like, you know what? Yes, you know, got the D a lot. That was really fun. But, you know, now it's time to like work, do the work, get past that, you know, and I did heal. Yeah, heal. And I did start actually, I don't think I healed correctly around the time that I, I met the guy that I started seeing more consistently. And then that's what brought up a whole bunch of stuff. And then that, and then I started therapy and then I was like, oh, I did not handle that correctly. So you're right. Definitely do a hoe phase in a healthy, healthy way. <laughs> because otherwise, like, what's the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Like, if you're out yes. of hoe, you will hurt. If you're, if you're a hurt hoe, then you will hurt hoes. And that's, we don't want to hurt hoes. Yeah, we right. want to be happy. So happy hoes. I did make some great friendships though. I will say from that time frame, I was very, you know, how you talked about like exploring new options. I also was very open to just, you know, 
meeting men to just have platonic relationships and that did that did flourish in in a way where I was able to make some really cool guy friends where it was just a healthy friendship without the need of adding sex in it and that I really appreciated. Well, that's what I liked about your whole phase was that like you were, like you were said earlier, you were finally discovering parts of yourself that you hadn't really explored in such a long time because you were in a relationship and kind of like what Claire said about like receding, you like actually explored so many options that I was very proud of you for like giving yourself, having the bravery to explore so many options. Because I think people, you know, you, you're going through a lot of changes in a breakup. You're going through a lot of change in your life and everything. And then to add more change by like mixing it up with the people that you surround yourself with and, you know, your partners and everything, that's a lot to do at once. So like when you're able to kind of like leave yourself open to it for the sake of, in a way, I think it can be healing, but also like for the sake of just rediscovering yourself in a new way through these people like i think as you're you know putting together the framework for what your future is going to look like in your new skin i think that's brave and and something to to think about and to do yeah you would be happy to hear claire that i am leaning into my curiosity with women ever (laughs) so slowly but going into it i look like an evil goblin i'm so happy (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've recently, uh, I I call it my titties journey. So I'm at least exploring that. She's on a titty journey. I love Uh, that. We'll see how it goes. Oh, thank you. Oh my God. I'll be listening to like the next season and being like, I don't know why I'd be listening to like that. (laughs) (laughs) On the phone. A 1980s phone. Like, (laughs) I love that. Oh my God. I can't wait to hear more about the titties journey. Thank you. Thank you. So far, it's it's gone very well. So. I'm trying to think if I've really varied what I've gone after now that like now that, I wouldn't say I'm like dating again, but I've definitely well, I take that back. I thought I was like on the quest for like, you know, after a couple months, about four or five months, I was like, you know what, let me try like maybe like seeing if I want a primary partner again. And I I talked about this on an episode recently where I'm like, yeah, I think I do. And now I've started therapy more. And now I'm kind of like thinking more into that, like what I actually really do want and things like that. So it's like, I feel like maybe I need to open myself up to a little bit more and seeing more of the options out there before like really kind of deciding like which direction to go. I like that you said you took like basically like six months to a year. You know, him and I are at the, it's been like over six months and therapy has helped me realize this that I need to take a little bit more time, you know? Yeah. As you said at the top, like everything just takes more time than we want it to take. Like the thing with grief, the thing with breakups is that like we want to be over it. We want to be, we want it to be done. We don't want to go through this hard bit, but you have to go through the hard bit. So that was really integral for me to take that year off. And I, I would, you know, I, I would probably suggest it to people that are also like, like four months going straight back into a new thing. That's like really quick. Do you know what I mean? But if you're finding like this need to identify a primary partner, because I mean, I got to the point where I was like, I'm being very romantic to my friends because I have, I don't have any like romantic partners. I was like drawing my friend a bath after like a long day. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's <was> ridiculous. <laughs> 
But one of the things that I really enjoyed was like dating myself. I don't know, that sounds like super corny, but there is a style of polyamory, which is called solo polyamory, where you are your own primary partner and you might date other people, but the primary partnership you have is with yourself. And that means that you take yourself out on dates, you show yourself romance and intimacy and you take, like you schedule time the way you would for a date to do stuff with yourself, to read out loud to yourself or to, you know, romance yourself by lighting candles in the apartment and like making sure it's clean the same way you would if someone was coming over for a date. And that's kind of what I spent the year doing is being really romantic to my friends, <laughs> inappropriately romantic to my friends, and also like loving myself in the way that I deserve to be loved. And it means that when I actually did start to date again, I had like, these are kind of like my standards. I'm not going to accept less than that, even if it is for something that's, you know, quote, casual or something the short term. I'm still, I know that I can give myself this. So now you have to come in and like make my day better. So solo polyamory might be like a really good option for people that are coming out of a long-term primary relationship is like become your own primary just for a short while. See what that feels like. Because uh, I, I think it's very therapeutic. It's like self-care on acid kind of. So, <laughs> to you know, show yourself love and to love yourself. And I definitely relate with you because you're probably trying to figure out where to channel your romance and your love, right? And that's like the tough part that I've been dealing with too. I'm like, I want to channel it somewhere. And it's like, channel it to yourself. Yeah, it takes practice. It really does. But like you can channel it to yourself or, you know, channel it to your friends in a way. But like you said, appropriately, I've definitely found that there are times that I've kind of channeled it more to like my really casual friendships, you know, that sometimes contain sex anyways. And so, yeah, but I, I think I need to do a better job of like channeling it inward. Starting therapy was one of my ways of like, you know what, I'm going to do this for me. Yeah. And therapy, if you can afford it, you have access to it and you feel comfortable, is an absolutely amazing tool. I was actually really lucky because I was living with a friend who I'd known for a real long, purely platonic friend that I'd known for a long time. And I ended up living with her for six months. And right at the moment where I was like, where am I going to put all this energy? Like, how am I going to put this love into practice? And it was like cooking for her and like tucking her in. <laughs> and it didn't feel inappropriate. And I'm glad that it went to someone that was so important to me prior. And it's like one of my, I mean, she's one of my best friends. But, you know, taking the time to do some of that for yourself. I mean, she she was the one that introduced me to like a skincare routine. Can you believe that before I was just like washing my face with <laughs> Claire. Like, oh, How could and, you? And just like vigorously rubbing suds into my face. It's like the same one I did for my hair like completely insane person and now i like took the time to like get in like the hyaluronic acids and like face with and all that yeah i've started being a little bit more like methodical with some of my routines as well as like a way to you know to kind of channel that i wouldn't say i don't know if i've channeled anything towards cami but i've started doing the dishes a lot more that's because we were fighting a lot about it. Yeah. And, I, and I've started like... We are our own partnership slash relationship. Yeah. So. Cammie and I are starting therapy together. Yeah. Yeah. It starts tomorrow. Oh, I tomorrow. love See how that. Yeah. 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 Tomorrow, 5 p.m. Well, because now we live together, you know, ever since I moved out and we moved in together and, you know, we have the podcast, we have a partnership, like all these things where even though we have great communication, like we got to a point where we were like, maybe we're not the most effective in some of the ways that we fight. And if we're going to continue living together, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys have a lot of, like, 
shared stuff right you guys have like a business I mean this this is the business right the podcast and like if you're also sharing space and mm-hmm. you know and like I mean we do so much together yeah a lot of pants. yeah I like what you said about taking time off after a breakup like a good chunk of time I don't think I did that right I definitely see that now it definitely took like a year for me to realize I did not take enough time and then it took me about like a year to realize I was like oh crap even though that time alone would have probably like, yeah, it can be painful, but it can also be like really productive. I've seen a lot more people start the, you know, date yourself journey. And I think that's really good. I have a lot of anxiety when it comes to like going out and doing activities like just me. So I, you know, I kind of made it a goal of mine this year to try to do more things on my own which right now that mainly includes going to like the park that I like to walk around and find nature and peace in I like to go do that by myself mostly like at night or like midday but now I'm like okay I need to escalate it and like add more activities in going out for like lunch by yourself is probably a good next step because you can take like a book and it's lunchtime it's not like all these people gonna be looking at you being like why why is she here alone I remember when I was like first living in New York I used to go out and have lunch or dinner like on my day off and because I didn't really know anyone to go by myself and my mom gave me a great suggestion which is to take like a small notebook and then after they see you to just like get out and just like make them anything and they'll <laughs> they'll begin to think that maybe you're a mystery shopper a uh, mystery diamond <laughs> Oh, but yeah, and I do love reading and I've gotten back into reading this year. So yeah, I do want to try like going to coffee or going to lunch by myself that that is the next step. Well, Claire, for a final question, what is your best advice for anyone going through a polyamorous breakup? Oh, listen to this podcast episode again, because I got through a lot. Um, But (laughs) my best advice for someone that's going through a polyamorous breakup is that the time that that this is happening right now is not forever. This is just right now. This is just the emotional scene in the series of your life. It's not even a whole episode. So give it the time it needs go through the thing but know that there's there's a part of you that's after this that's looking back and and smiling because you get through it you get through it and you get better and that's probably my incredibly cheesy takeaway but that's honestly how I feel I love that I love that not cheesy at all beautiful I'm glad to hear you've gotten to a place where you know you can look back on it and smile and have kind of that positive like reflection on it I don't know if I'm quite there yet but I feel like I'm getting there. Yeah, I feel like I am, especially with therapy now. Yeah. And you will. I mean, I'm like years out of this as well. This is the thing, you know, like it was a, it was an ebb and flow. It's not linear, much like grief. I'm definitely like the stuff I built during the worst year of my life. I'm, I'm immensely proud of it. Polypage has been one of them, but also like my friendships, my career took a huge turn. Like I'm immensely proud of the stuff that I did during the parts where I could have lain down and been like super, super kicked and sore and self-pitying. And I took the days to feel like that, right? You're allowed to have the days where you feel like that. But like, I'm immensely proud to be looking back over that and be like, aha, I did a lot with that year. I love yeah, that. Yeah, that productivity that you can have. It's good. Yeah, on a relationship. And now you can do other stuff with that free time. So it's like, what's going to get done? Yeah. yeah. 
No, it's true. I definitely like, granted, I'm still going through it and everything, but I'm definitely proud of myself for not letting it kick me so far down that I can't get back up or not letting it consume me so much that I can't, you know, like continue the podcast or continue my relationships or continue the things that I've been doing through, you know, the relationship and all of that. Like I still continued all of it because I'm like, yes, I'm going through this tough thing. Yes, it's very hard. Yes, there were days where I really had to give myself time to just cry. But overall, like, I'm still up and doing all the things that I still want to do and that I still love to do. So, well, thank you for joining us today, Claire. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Be sure to check out Claire at Polly Pages on IG. You can also find her on TikTok. And of course, find us at doubleteampodcast.com or go check us out on YouTube, IG and TikTok at doubleteampodcast, Twitter, Reddit at doubleteampod or go support us on Patreon. Anyways, wear condoms. We love you. Come back next time.